Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP MAG24. Welcome to the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. You are about to listen to the Hacking Your Potential Podcast with Frankie Thomas. Join Frankie and uncover the secrets of those who achieved greatness. Let their wisdom and experience inspire you to transcend mediocrity and strive for excellence. Take the first step towards an extraordinary life and start your journey today. Knowledge is power. Now, more than ever. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Hacking Your Potential, the show where we explore the journeys, insights, and innovations of remarkable individuals in the tech industry. I'm your host, Frankie Thomas, and today we have a truly inspiring guest joining us. All the way from South Africa, Please give a warm welcome to Dylan, a self-taught Python developer who has dedicated his talents to creating command line programs and tools that empower others in the tech world. With a passion for bridging the gap between skills and experience, Dylan has embarked on an ambitious project called Nixlin. Nixlin is designed to offer individuals the chance to work on projects together, build their skills in a team environment while gaining the necessary experience to advance in their careers. Focused primarily on creating offensive security tools, Nixlin also seeks to establish an educational platform that teaches people how to use these tools effectively and responsibly. Despite still being in its early stages, Nixlin has already shown immense promise in addressing the challenges faced by skilled individuals seeking to gain valuable experience in the tech industry. With a strong commitment to his vision, Dylan is here to share his insights and tell us more about the impact he hopes to make through this groundbreaking project. So, without further ado, let's dive in and discover how Dylan is hacking the potential of aspiring tech professionals around the globe. Hello Dylan, and welcome to the show. We're thrilled to have you here with us. How are you today? Hey Frankie, how's it? No, I'm good and you, man. Uh, Thanks for having me here. uh, I'm excited about this. I'm glad you're psyched, man. We've got a lot to get through today. So before we get onto your project, I'd want I, I want to give everyone a bit of a background of you know who you are and how it all started for you. So can you start by telling us how you got into programming? Okay, well, since I was a kid, I've always messed around with you know cables, and I, I just couldn't keep my hands still. I've always you know messed around and tinkered a bit, as they say. Obviously, later on, you grow up, you learn some bits and pieces of electrical engineering. But, you know, having grown up with a uh, Windows XP in the house, curiosity kills a cat. And uh, at some point you start learning, oh, you know, the first thing you always start off with is essentially web. Um, you know, you get to the point where you question, okay, well, how does this actually work? You know, you, you want to you wanna know what, what is your clicking. And uh, you learn about HTML and you started your first uh, .html file and then eventually you go down the rabbit hole all the way to Python, man. That's great, man. I think it's um, really inspiring to hear what people did when they were children and how it led to, uh, you know, what they do today. I think that's always quite cool to hear from people. So that kind of leads to where I want to ask you next. I'd like to know, you know, how did you go from tinkering with cables to, you know, starting your own business? Um, One thing that's always been on my mind, something that's always fascinated me is obviously robotics. I feel like uh, any uh, geeky kid like myself, you know, that's uh, something you just can't get over. And I essentially realized, well, you know, I don't really have all the experience in electrical engineering that you would actually require for that kind of mechatronics and such. So I realized, okay, well, let me work on something that I can work on, which essentially is the software side. You know, having learned your HTML and your CSS, and eventually you get to a point where you hit Java, JavaScript, and JavaScript is also a... Uh, a beast for any any new developer who's ever worked with it for the first time. They know it's a daunting uh, it's a daunting challenge. 
So I embarked on the journey of learning C programming. Um, that itself being a whole nother challenge, you know, you learn about, you start reading up on, okay, how do I now uh, write and run a, a C or a dot C, a C plus plus file or whatever. That's where by that time, I think I already had my, uh, my first uh, Windows 7 and I downloaded uh, GNU and with GNU, you can, you know, start uh, compiling and running all your C programming. Um, simply being able to be fluent in Python allowed me to be able to research things like Flask and Django and learning that, you know, Python has a huge variety of libraries allowing me to use all sorts of HTTP requests, um, socket programming, which has become actually my absolute favorite method of communications. Um, in my journey, everything I've learned thus far, even uh, having done some freelancing for clients where that took me on a journey where I had to learn how to actually deploy a project. You know, you had to write a whole website. You know, that's basically putting the whole thing together from the ground up where you're running a Flask project that has your templates folder that allows you to have all your HTML and then your static folders with all your uh, CSS, your JavaScripts for, you know, some functionalities and, you know, just dealing with the database, essentially, not really realizing at the time, everything that I was learning simply to try to get a project done. That was probably the greatest experience for learning the pathway of becoming a DevOps. Um, now currently creating the Nixon project in Django, you know, you discover a whole lot of things. Uh, my first Django project was essentially the most vulnerable box I could have ever built. That having led me into you know, questioning cybersecurity in general, uh, having the situation where, okay, I know my box is vulnerable, so what am I going to do about it? Well, I need to first look at what type of attacks my box is going to be vulnerable to. Um, how is someone going to attack it? Because if I want to know how to defend something, I need to know how it's getting attacked. And that kind of led me on the trail to meeting you, Frankie. Wow, Dylan, that's an amazing journey you've been on, man. I am, um, I just want to make it clear. Me and Dylan have been speaking on the daily for a good few months now. And I didn't even know you were, you understood C language, man. C language is one of the toughest languages to learn, I think. What do you think? Would you say C language is tough? It is, dude, I'm not going to lie. It is. And the worst part about it is once you actually learn C programming, especially if you learn it as like your first like proper programming language, you don't actually feel comfortable with going to other languages. C programming, once you know how to do it, it just makes pure raw sense. C programming and Python actually have a really weird way that they connect. So if you wanted to run a, uh, essentially what's known as C Python, it's Python, uh, the C programming can only handle integers given by Python. You can't really parse information from a Python function over to a C function. So that's also where, you know, eventually you start learning about scripting. Um, you know, being that you get used to the terminal, you discover some, uh, .sh files, you know, aka your bash scripts. Um, bash scripts probably be being the most beautiful block of code that I can ever find on a file. Simply because you're saying, okay, cool. There's just literally a list of functions or terminal commands that you want it to run. And you can run it and you can make if statements, uh, if conditions and statements and such. Um, but again, with Python, you can use your sub processes or your OS functions, um, to where you eventually learn that with programming is often deemed where you'll find these huge arguments on the internet. No, Java is better than C. No, C is better than JavaScript. Um, this and that. And my argument that I always have on these situations, whenever I accidentally end up in them, is that, you know, every language has a purpose. Every programming language was created with an intent in mind. Just the vastness of programming, having been you know, the, the, what's known as the jack of all trades, which in my opinion, honestly, doesn't actually get the good rep that it actually deserves. Um, 
just on sheer fact that if you're working in a company where let's say example a company that you're working in has to deal with a lot of different type of clients and they have a lot of different type of projects having people who have more experience screwing around messing around with different types of languages different scenarios you're more adaptable in those environments so you're more capable of being able to do the research to connect a Django project with a uh, let's say a Kivi project. If if someone is writing an app in Kivi and then they've been writing this thing for over three years, the chances of them changing that and going into Kotlin is zero to none. I totally get what you mean, man, um, about the jack of all trades thing. I I think it's advent advantageous to be a jack of all trades in this industry. But I can also see where, you know, big companies wanting people who specialize in certain areas, with there being so many people interested in the IT field, cybersecurity, you know, programmers, web developers, it's it makes more sense for a large company to hire multiple people who have the specific skill to do the job and then put them all together that way. But from your point of view, you know, building small teams, it makes sense to have multiple skill sets with each person. So I prefer your way of doing things, but I don't think there's a right or wrong way. But you were talking about the vastness of um, programming languages. And I was wondering, what did you think from public opinion and your own opinion? Which one do you think is the best? You can't always deem one thing better than another thing simply because uh, mainstream decides that this is what's better. You don't always know. And the fact is, the more complex your project and the more uh, weird it is to someone else, the fact is the more secure it makes it because the less likely it is that the masses actually know how to get in. So... For example, my first Django project, I did that thing completely without a database where it's all text files. Um, it takes the new information, it reads the old information, it de-encrypts it, it now makes the changes, and then it re-encrypts it and then writes it in again. Um, and just by having done that, I basically saved my client a lot of money on a monthly basis. Having gone to uh, into Heroku instead of having used uh, your G Cloud, that again, saving from forty dollars a month to five ninety nine, that's you're not always just trying to find the best way of doing something or the most mainstream way of doing it. You're trying to find the best way, in essence, in, in essence, to what works best for your client. What is the most effective and efficient way of doing it? Not just on runtime and those things, but also on cost effect. Because at the end of the day, the aim of the game is your ROI. So if you're not making proper returns because you're spending over, you know, $150 a month just to keep this thing running, but you're having months where you're making only 300, that doesn't make a lot of sense, you know, and finding a way to save them and say, well, this whole project, we can be running under $20 a month and your returns, even on a bad month, you're still making returns. It's still self-efficient. And I feel like that is essentially the aim of the game. Um, but yeah, then it goes into the cybersecurity level. And that's uh, and that's where I met you. And that's where things took a whole nother turn, man. Absolutely. Meeting you was a complete game changer for me. So I've only been working on um, an offensive security for about 12 months now. So... I have no experience in the workplace doing this stuff. Um, I come from a background of restaurants and construction sites. I've been a butcher, a gardener, but I've never worked in an office. So making that transaction is going to be, or transition even is going to be extremely difficult for me. So when I met you and you sort of offered me to work on these projects, these were the, this was the first time I'd ever been, you know, can you pen test this website for me? I was like, wow, yeah, sure, no problem. Yeah, I struggled. I found a few things and maybe it wasn't the best job. Maybe you could have found someone better. But 
for me personally, you giving me this opportunity was, it's really helped me grow. And that was the main reason I wanted to bring you on the show to talk about Nixland today, because I think that I'm not the only one out here with, you know, the scaffolder to cybersecurity story. You hear them all the time, plumber to cybersecurity. And I think there's a lot of people out here trying to break into the industry, but without the experience, it's almost impossible. So a project like yours where, you know, you let these people in, you invite these people in with without the experience so they can gain the experience. I think it's a fantastic idea. And I'm sure you're not reinventing the wheel, but the more people who can do this, I think the better. But I want to go back to what you said about your clients and how using the, you know, the, the best solutions or the the mainstream way of doing things it isn't always the right way. You should always think about, you know, what your particular client needs. Like, for instance, they don't have a huge funding and it's a small project, a new project. And sometimes you need to think about things that are more cost effective. I think that was a great way of looking at it. But with that said, um, I was wondering, what was your first successful project? Well, my first uh, successful project and program, uh, I suppose, is the same as any other developer. It's Hello World, man. So, you know, it, it ran successfully. It had no errors, no bugs, no nothing. Everything just worked perfectly and it printed <laughs> Hello World. As okay. for my first um, client project, that would be uh, for Thundercats, man. That's a... Uh, uh, a buddy of mine moved to the Caribbean and he told me, no, man, he needs a, a booking a website so that, you know, people can just go in, click, say, you know, their name is this, is their email. Um, they need to be able to book on certain dates and there's going to be this many time slots and there has to be options for a, a lot of dynamic levels where let's say example it's only one adult then that means it can only give the option for one child if there's two adults it can only be for two children and that again being dynamic on are you taking the higher velocity trips or the lower one so are you are you going are you just cruising so you can take four people or are you actually going much faster meaning you can only take two people not four um and that took me on a journey where you know you realize that yeah javascript is important because if it wasn't for JavaScript, I don't think I would have been able to create that uh, dynamic uh, widget um, or that that form sheet where if you clicked, okay, I'm taking the cruise, and then you click on uh, one adult, but then you click on two adults afterwards because you maybe change your mind or you're sitting there with the missus and you change your mind and then you know you're talking and whatnot, and then it must adapt to that. And that's where JavaScript became, you know, that became my, my first proper challenge with JavaScript, I could say. Um, now, currently, the fact that jQuery is actually no longer a thing. And this, again, is where if you're a diehard, if you were a diehard jQuery fan for the last few years, I'm sorry to say it, man, you're going to have to adapt to a more vanilla JavaScript way of doing things. Um, I have like the site's down now because I have to change it. I have to. That's my current actual problem right now is that I have to recreate that whole uh, date picker because date picker, anyone who's ever had to deal with uh, a dynamic date picker, you'll find that it has its nuance, man. And there's so many different um, browsers out there that not all of them are going to be compatible with whatever bootstrapifying method you're using. So you have to generally go and look at what's out there. And if you don't have each and every single device on hand, you got to find a way to test your stuff because there's no way to test everything. The first like proper successful project that I had was this booking site because, you know, once they click and they made a thing, it will send an email. And that's where I learned more about SMTP and not just SMTP, but also how to avoid using the SMTP port and actually just have this thing send through a request to another uh, service, which will then send the email. Finding, again, you know, more uh, secure way of doing things, I suppose. Because standardly, if you're going to go as a pen tester or as a hacker and you want to, you know, get into the, the client's SMTPs, 
the standard route is to look for the port and uh that's that's generally your you know your SMTP ports um 2000s ports i can't even remember what's all of them at the moment but you know you you try to always find an alternative way of accomplishing the standard route of doing things um i think my favorite quote for this is never let them know your next move hey that's a great quote and uh definitely want to stand by i would say man what you did um by sending requests for the emails instead of running them through the smpt it's pretty impressive that's the sort of um thinking that people need to have to um avoid getting themselves into trouble because if i see smp smtp port open then i'm going to take advantage of that or at least try to anyways so look man we've been talking a lot about you and your background and what you've been up to so let's get into the real reason why we're here let's talk about nixlin what what is nixlin can you explain for the listeners please man so i've started a company called nixlin and this company essentially what we stand for is you know the new developers economy meaning if you're coming from the ground up if you're self-taught or even if you've had uh your three-year education you've got all these qualifications but now you're trying to get a job and unfortunately the fact is that regardless of what paperwork you have it doesn't matter where you go they want like three years experience now how are you going to go get that experience when everyone wants you to have the experience before you can get the experience it, it doesn't make any sense that's where i decided okay well what i'll do is i'll set it up in such a way where if someone is going to join nixlin um i'm obviously going to first look at what's their current skill set what's their level where they at um if i see okay they're uh, very new so example who does very very new to it however she is herself uh very self-taught having learned reacts now myself not being very comfortable with reacts but at least understanding the fundamentals and the frameworks and such being that i am a jack of all trades and have essentially tried almost everything that's out there because the best way i've seen to learn or the best way to find the best route is to try all the routes and then you see okay well these ones are the ones that work best and they are most compatible with these other things that i need and that again can change if you're doing a different project because then you can find oh but in that project it's a completely different situation you know um but having that she has learned reacts and the structure of reacts being that you still use your templates folder and your static folder and it still has its own fundamental structures i can essentially show okay well everything that you've learned on certain base functionalities um you know in the in the front end area being able to integrate her into django showing her okay well here's how you do these things and being able to teach her in a way where she can make full sense of it to me feels great because that means that developers as a whole have actually come to understanding that you know um pick if I'm out of it over that side he might be working on something completely different than I am but at the end of the day data is just data you need to connect these things what nixlin does essentially is we take students on or anybody and if i see that you're starting from the ground up i'm going to get you in i'm going to teach you everything i need you to know which is going to be um you know of use to the project or you, you know um a real world situation a real world scenario where right now example she's working on building me a very nice online uh terminal so that we can connect this terminal into a kali server and then you can run all those functions and then on the online screen you're seeing everything that you're running on that terminal even though it's you know connected like an ssh it's not but it works the same and that again is using javascript connected again through django and by doing this uh hudanak gets to learn a real world scenario on a functionality which is fairly complex fairly specific and yet at the same time dynamic enough that if ever let's say in 2 years time or let's say 
however amount of time, because I mean, it also depends from person to person and also what you're learning, how long it takes and, you know, just how much skill set you actually gain. Um, I then, if they say, listen, okay, they are ready to go. They want to work at this company. By all means, I will, with a very happy heart, write them the best of letters of recommendation. Um, being the fact that they've now worked on a project that is a known way of doing things. So Django being one of the biggest, uh, you know, frameworks out there for companies like, uh, YouTube and, uh, LinkedIn and all these other ones, they, Django is a standard. Um, even React being a standard and the fact that they integrate, uh, you know, difficultly, but they do integrate and that gives them evidence of work. So I can prove that yes, this person Huda has in fact accomplished all these tasks. Here are, here's all the evidence of it. Here is her contributions. Here's what she did. Um, here's the live evidence of it that it's running. Um, you can test it out for yourself. Um, I vouch for her uh, skill set. I vouch for everything she's learned. I can even say, listen, 10 out of 10, she is extremely adaptable. Dylan, I have to salute you. What you're doing for people here is, I think it's a fantastic service. So what I've got from you there is basically, you know, you have this girl who's helping you with a project and if she wants to go to another company and that's absolutely fine. The whole point of Nixlin is to help people build these projects and get that experience. And then you're more than happy to, you know, give them letters of recommendation and show proof of their work that they've done and stuff like that. You know, I think it's amazing, man. I think it's great. So for the people listening, say somebody who's listening wants to, you know, get that experience and come and work with Nixlin. Um, do you accept anyone? No, definitely. Like uh, we, we take people on from any and all, you know, experience levels. If you know what you're doing and you do for me a project, and this project is of use. It is a live going project. Um, we also have a system where if the project goes live and it starts to generate, we essentially give you the platform and the funding and the means to build this thing up to make it live. If you are extremely skilled in, you know, working with Arduinos and those things, but you simply do not have the means to get started on the interface area, but you can code the embedded systems like a beast, by all means, we'll give you the platform where we will then connect someone else who can build you the interface. So you're getting a double whammy. You're getting some, you're getting people to work together in a team to create a live project, which essentially will generate income for them generate income for Nixland to be able to, you know, continue doing what we do. And on both sides, they're getting what they both need in aspects to, you know, on your CV, um, your resume, your portfolio, whichever. Um, you're just simply being able to say, okay, cool. Uh, the person that was working on the back end of the project was able to communicate with the front end team. Uh, able to communicate with the embedded team and being able to, you know, connect that data and um, allowing the user to actually interface with this device that the embedded team has created and front end having done their side, they all get to learn a lot out of that. They don't just learn, oh, okay, no, I've learned how to do front end. No, you've learned how to work with a team. You've learned how to build a project from the ground up as a team with only the basic guidance that we give. We give you more space where you're learning at a self pace. If your project takes three years or two months, it's up to you as a team to work on that. We give you the platform where we'll teach you how to work in a team. We teach you how to use, you know, your GitHub, how to do it properly, professionally, um, you know, using things like Git Guardian. And having you, Frankie, to be able to, you know, do some pen testing on it and explain to them where their vulnerabilities lie. Um, having Joshua who can help us to also find, you know, better means of 
uh, finding the, the best route to protect it, you know, perhaps, you know, adding firewalls and those kind of things. But yeah, no, the, the, the aim of the game is to give them the experience that they require in a way that benefits everyone. I think that's such a great way to look at life. If we all like sort of help each other instead of trying to step on each other, cause you know, there's so much, you know, dog eat dog and everybody trying to climb up on top of each other to, you know, do better in life. But I personally believe if we all helped each other and everyone just worked together, I think the world would be a happier place. But it does make me wonder, Dylan, was there ever an experience in your life? And I'm sure you have where, you know, someone had sort of screwed you around or where the project was a complete failure. So I guess the question I'm asking, what was your first failed project? Uh, my first failed project, I suppose, uh, first failed professional project was a card app that I was making for a friend that at first I said, well, this would be a great learning experience for me and I'll do it and everything. And then later on when we started realizing, okay, but this thing is actually becoming proper and professional and he started having, uh, I don't know what kind of, I don't really want to give description upon it, but the way in which he was treating me at the end of the day was as if he was my boss. And I said, man, you know, that was never really the agreement is, you know, that's not really how it goes. And then you want to give me 10%, but I was doing like 90% of the work. None of that balances out. So I essentially left the project. I closed it up on my GitHub and I said, okay, well, unfortunately you're going to have to continue on your own. And since I was doing 90% of the, the work anyway, you know, well, you can uh, have good luck, but you know, at the end of the day, you have to also learn how to stand your ground. And I also hope to integrate or in, uh, implement ways of, you know, passing that kind of mentality on over to the developers that we take on. I'd just like to say your approach to helping people is commendable. And the guy who screwed you over, then it's definitely his loss. But the fact that you can take that experience and start to think, how can I use that to help the people I'm trying to help so they don't fall into the same situation? I think that's brilliant. But I'd also like to say, man, like without fear of repeating myself, that, you know, I was struggling with the idea of breaking into cybersecurity and I kind of thought this is going to take me maybe five years minimum to find something. But then I found you and that sort of give me hope that things can speed up a lot quicker because I didn't realize there was people out there like me who, you know, struggle to get into that sort of corporate swing of things who don't really fit into that group of people. So it's great to know that there is people out there. And if you're somebody like me who, you know, you've just got into this sort of field and you, you don't think you can find a job or you've been trying and you're failing, then try and find just a group of people, even if it's Nixlin or it could be just a group of people who are just trying to build something for themselves. I think it's a great thing you could do because meeting Dylan, Dylan's more than just a work colleague. He's a really good friend now and I could tell him anything. Number one, let me first just say, you know, thank you. I, uh, I really appreciate the, the words you just said. That's, uh, that's very kind, man. And also, like you were saying, with any other company, the whole concept being that the learning, the developer learning environment should have a completely different economy all on its own. It's not the same way. I mean, if I wanted to now go and hire a pen tester, let's say I take someone fresh out of uh, a freshman. Or, or what's they known as a fresher, right? Someone who studied for three years and they have the qualifications. Now I have to hire them. It's not going to work out for me at the end of the day financially because now I have to support a whole other person. But they're also going to have that employer mentality or employee mentality mm-hmm. where I found they only do to a level. Whereas for you, being more of a member to Nixland, not a student or a uh, employee, you being actively participating in it makes you more hands-on to the degree where, I mean, like the other day, you were actually going and researching a lot more about Django. So I said, 
um, I remember, like I said, okay, cool. Here's the base of the project. Um, you can you can clone the repository, and here's it has the steps and everything on how to run it and how to get started. And you went and tore it apart very quickly. I mean, having found you know that the CSRF tokens are a, a problem, and that currently being my biggest uh, thing that makes me not sleep at night. But yeah, man, the thing is, so this essentially like for you, basically being it that everyone who joins Nixlin or any project likewise, you need to have the right format of displaying your portfolio. I mean, you can't just go and tell a company, oh no, but I've been pen testing for Nixlin for this many years, whatnot. No, I mean, you got to have some way of showing everything. So like the report that you were showing me on how you did it, was, you know, you took proper screenshots, uh, you cropped your screenshots, you actually wrote notes on everything, you made like really nice MD files and everything. You having come from the very fundamental, like from day one of a startup project, that once this thing is up and running, you being able to say, listen, or, or let's say we put our project up on like Bug Crowd or whichever, uh, if we find that people are just not getting into it and on your portfolio, it shows no, but you were the pen tester who initially made sure that on a red room level, you're not cracking into this thing because you know every nook and cranny of it. You've broken this thing time and time and time again, having worked with the rest of the Nixland team. You know, you now not only have experience as a pen tester, you now have active experience in you know, solving the problem. So essentially giving you blue team experience. So essentially from the core of it is that when you're trying to get into the tech industry, there's a few factors that come into play. I mean, if you are trying to get a job at a company, let's say a software company that does specific, um, Example, ERP, ERP uh, being uh, your enterprise resource planner. I mean, th there's so many different categories in something as, you know, narrowed down as that, that you'd have to really know what you're doing in something. And for a company to say, okay, well, I see that you've learned all these languages, you've built all these projects, but once you start working for us, you're going to realize that everything that you've learned is going to be of use at like 5% at best. There's so much more out there that you learn that's actually being applied in the real world terms that yes, to go and study, you kind of have to understand those things first. But at the end of the day, there's no school that can actually prepare you for the reality of the vastness and the depth of what the tech industry you know, has to offer and the real navigation thereof. Um, if for me trying to get into companies, you know, being a, a jack of all trades that I am, I also realized that even though I might be able to fully fathom and understand and even grasp a concept to the degree where I can research it and quickly get a hold of it, it's, a gamble for a company to say, okay, well, we'll take you on, teach you what it is you need to know, and then let you start working when they now have to then, you know, put money in and hope that that investment is going to make a return. But at the end of the day, you know, I, I have no grudge against any company because I can fully understand from the company's perspective is that, you know, it, your skill set needs to be on point. It needs to be at a level where it is a asset to them and not something that's going to essentially slow them down. They need someone to help them speed up. The sad reality is coming out of school, a fresher, unfortunately, will not actually be able to do that. And most companies don't really give you that play field. They won't really give you the option to say, okay, well, that's fine. Uh, we understand where you're at and we understand the process that it took us to get to where we are. So we'll let you sit in the office and you can work on the computer and 
you can kind of, you know, just get a feel for how it works in and in simply because it, it's too hectic. I mean, most, even a small company doing on a, a smaller project, you end up working many late nights just to fix bugs and try to get things going and keep the production running. And it, it's a mission and a half. So, you know, it came to a point where I realized, well, myself, even though I'm capable of doing certain types of projects completely on my own, um, being that I, I'm capable in web development, app development, even embedded systems, networking, all the such, I've realized also I never really specialized in anything. So I came to a point where I realized, well, it would probably not be a bad idea if I could take on a few freshers and say, listen, I'll teach you what you need to know as long as you can tell me which area you want to specialize in. You find more often than not, most developers, freshers being educated and whatnot, they also don't really know. And the fact is, the reason they don't know is because it's kind of difficult to know because even someone in the field, uh, someone could have been doing web development on, you know, uh, Node.js, Reacts, Ruby on Rails, Django, you name it. They could have worked on all these many things for 10 years and they'll still tell you to specialize in any one thing that I do is too huge. So it's always good to first, you know, get to know a person, not just on, oh, what can this person bring as an asset to the company, but how can my company assist this person in finding their best routes, finding how can I get the best out of this person? So you have to really kind of uh, dig deep in with each individual being that the, the fact is if, if someone says, okay, well, they've learned um, flutter and a little bit of tinker and they're actually trying to go into lower level programming and they want to build API. So, well, that's great. Um, but what are you trying to do with API? Do you, how much of API do you actually understand? Yeah, I mean, no one's going to give you that opportunity. The whole point is that Nixon gives you a foundation where you come as you are with whatever skill set you have, being that you might know literally the code. You've, you've written hello world in a function. Great. Now let's teach you object oriented appropriate creating projects that are far more in line to the actuality of how things go about, not just, you know, YouTube and they say, oh, this is how you build a website with uh, Flask, for example. Great, they're going to teach you all the great basics and they're going to teach you how to do it in a very vulnerable manner. And that's fine for when you're learning. And that's why I love um, certain uh, people and how uh, can I say some channels like Tech with Tim, man, he'll explain this to you and he'll say, listen, the way we're doing this now will leave you with multiple vulnerabilities, but we're going to walk you through it so that you can understand. Then from there, you go on to the next thing. But at the end of the day, what you need is people to work together in a team to accomplish an actual production level or production grade project. It's very daunting for a younger developer to try to take on a, a production grade project, even a simple website. It, it, it appears easy and, oh, you can do it in an hour and a half. It, no, the, the fact is, no, you can watch the video for an hour and a half. Sure. Uh, you can maybe even do all the coding sim simultaneously, man. If, if you're that fast at typing and, and, you know, you're, that good at you know quickly comprehending what's being said and you can splash it onto your screen please come join nixlin but you know at the end of the day there's so many other steps that happen before and after that i mean simply you're you're you get to start off with before you can code anything you have to set up your it you have to actually set up and configure your system you have to have something like uh vs code or uh, sublime text editor or something in which to work. I mean, 
Like you get even Vim at least, but you have to have some means of learning and understanding how to use a platform where in which to actually use or actually, you know, build this project you want to build. And at the same time, you're, you're going to find that anyone trying to build a project is always going to lean to one area or the other. Yeah. I feel someone actually taking time to put more uh, effort into explaining it, not just giving them, you know, a half hour tutorial video, um, but actually, you know, walking them through it and even explaining to them, okay, well, you have all these other platforms, how long it takes for one individual just to understand all those fundamentals, all those basics to be able to get comfortable in that field that they can feel that they, okay, cool. If you were to give them a project, they can deploy it and they can do everything they need to do to ensure that this thing will continue. And if anything doesn't work correctly, they know how to uh, take a step back. They know how to re revert it to the last uh, known good configuration and they know how to take care of it. But at the same time, you need the other people. You need the ones who were building on the databases. You need the one who was actually sitting there and making everything beautiful, you know, uh, allowing them the field to play with their own creativity, not telling them at all how you want it. You only tell them, listen, I need this function of this kind. It needs to work in this way. Um, the structure is like this. Done. Further than that, they need to figure it out for themselves. For the person doing the databasing, all you have to explain to them is say, listen, um, each user must have this and this and this, and the database needs to be able to give them this kind of thing, and you need to have this hierarchy level. So you need to have your um, admins, and then you need to have your staffs, and then you need to have your users, and you need to have different type of grades of users, and that kind of thing, and privileges and such. As for how to actually go about it, you need to guide them into the right direction, but you can't always just spoon feed people. If you're going to spoon feed them, you're going to find that all you've done is created a copy paste function on them. And that's it. They've learned how to copy and paste from you. That's not learning how to actually do it. The person in the cybersecurity industry doesn't necessarily need to know how to do all the databasing. They just need to know certain types of methods that do and don't work and to understand also at the same time that everything is always ever evolving so the project can change you can be building you can be spending three months on something doing it in a specific way only to find that there's the newest cve that says no this way is now not good because frankie found out how to get past that and uh, you got a whole bunch of hand claps on LinkedIn, and now we got a problem. <laughs> and believe me, man, one day I will get those hand claps. Those were pure knowledge bombs you've been throwing down there. Everything makes sense, but you said so much for me to go over it all. But one thing that did stick with me is the, the YouTube thing where, you know, you say about, yeah, you, there is a, a video out there that'll teach you how to use Flask in an hour and a half, but it takes a lot more than that. I know when I'm studying and I'm taking my notes, it can take me up to three hours to, you know, digest a 15 minute video and make sure I've taken all my notes properly and it all makes sense and it can be walked through by other people. Cause if I can't teach what I've wrote to other people, then how the hell am I supposed to learn it myself? If that makes sense. And also, you're totally right about other companies, you know, it's it's a risk for them to take someone on who doesn't know fully what they're doing. So you can understand why it's difficult for the inexperienced person to find jobs. It's not like it's a cruel world, you know, and things need to change. You no, know, things are exactly the way they are for a reason, and we don't expect them to change. Hence, Nixlin. On the topic of Nixlin, I wanted to ask you, how do you plan to sort of like organize the teams? 
Like how's how is the whole you know you've got how how do you bring all these people together? Well, you've popped up one of the greatest questions, and honestly, I feel that's my Achilles' heel, being that that is currently the biggest challenge, considering the fact that Nixlin takes on anyone from anywhere all over the world. You could be in the middle of Brazil or in the middle of China or in the Isles of Man or in South Africa, India, Nigeria, wherever. We're open to anyone. The internet is an amazingly terrifying place and it has so much to offer in regards to the fact that when it comes to synchronizing a team, you as a, or myself as a, currently having only one team right now, as essentially as a beta test to see that everything is going, you know, in a direction and being able to have like a model structure for it. Everyone being in different time zones and not always being very sure of themselves and such. The first, I feel the first steps to take are always most vital. So first having, you know, one-on-one with each um, member in every category. So with your front-end developer, your uh, database developer, your cybersecurity developer, your, you know, every category. And first making sure that I myself know how to actually fully structure it out so that when it comes to a point where I'm now going to pass it over to them as a collective group, I'm not just throwing them in the deep end. What I'm going to be having to do is essentially setting it up so that I know what I've taught this person and how I've communicated with them is in the manner of speaking where I am also expecting and, you know, teaching the other person from that position. So uh, front end to database, for example, if I'm speaking with the person on front end, I'm going to be speaking to them in the same terms at which I would expect a database developer to be speaking to a front-end developer and vice versa. The same way if I'm going to be speaking to the database developer, I'm going to be explaining to this person, listen, okay, so from front-end, this is the type of situation that they'll be in and this type of situation that you can be in. So essentially, I suppose I would be saying I'm isolating it in and then also even explaining to them, okay, well, in building what you're building, you have to also communicate with the cybersecurity side. Um, and I feel what that does for me on, on, as, as a team constructor, if I can call it that, is I have to basically go and put on every hat. I have to play every side of the field and I have to be able to understand it to a degree and be able to communicate that over to someone in a way so that when we do get the chance, and it does happen from time to time that you know, someone will stay up a little bit late, someone else will have to wake up a little bit earlier, for everyone to be on the same you know, time, uh, on, on a same uh, virtual meet or a Google meet or whichever, it's not easy at all. But luckily, again, the internet is amazing. Even having just one good meeting at least once a month, where everyone is getting together and getting to know each other and even having a platform, at least like, uh, you know, a, a, some type of chat platform where everyone's on the same platform. You can have a group and you can communicate with one another. It's a vital thing. And it, you know, it requires people breaking out of their shell. It's not easy to go and just ask someone who's, you know, okay, you've joined this uh, organization, it's Nixlin, and you're speaking to Dylan and uh, and Ringy, but now you don't know at all any of the other people, and they're explaining to you, cool, you're going to be working with them in order to build your guys' project. I, myself, am building a completely different thing, but what you're going to be building is with them, and they need to first be able to also get to know one another. They need to be able to, you know, understand that each person from a different country is going to have different ways of explaining things. So you have to always, you know, break down some language barriers, um, that, that sort of situation where 
and not just language barriers in, in country-wise, even though we're all speaking English, language barriers in programming. That's a, it's a, it's a barrier for someone, you know, speaking JavaScript, HTML, CSS, speaking over to someone who's speaking Python and Bash, you know, you, you have to find what's the best way in which to train the mind of every category of developer being able to get everyone to understand at least one foothold at the same point, which is where I feel, you know, being able to everyone knows how to use GitHub branches is the most essential because now everyone understands, okay, when I push my version of the work, it's going here. Then he's going to put it there and there, and then we're all going to be able to put it together and having at least that one core root fundamental where this is the, the the gathering of the developers. This is literally where you all have to gather at the same table. When you come to the table, you got to bring what you've brought from the hunt and put it all together. And that's where things in any company, large, small, ancient, um, you know, it could be the old school people, or it can be a brand new company. That's where friction starts. That's where you know, where you have to start doing uh, file comparisons where you find that certain developers have to work on the same file. And that can also be quite stressful and daunting, especially for someone new to the situation. Um, and I feel that always having a mentor over the situation where you're leaving them the freedom, not just you know, leaving them in, they're not just throwing them in the, in the deep end, but having taught each one fundamentally how to get to the same point so that they're all looking at the same thing, even though they're looking at it from an angle, they can understand each other's angles. A, a completely off topic method. If two people are out in the woods and they want to build a house and the one is you know, better chopping trees where the other one is better at digging holes. You know, you have to still communicate that. The one that's chopping the trees still has to explain to one digging the holes. Well, okay, listen, I'm getting the this size logs. Cool. All right. So I know how now the guy digging the holes knows, okay, I know how to make the holes that size so that we can put the poles. And, you know, being able to at least see the same picture, the mentor, myself in the situation, has to actually be able to see not just the big picture, but also be able to put themselves in each member's shoes to regard to what are they seeing? What are they perceiving? Yes, I totally get you. Just from my own experience, it's so difficult to get everyone together for a meeting when you're all in different places around the world. But I think with... Git branches, like you said, like GitHub is probably the most effective way you can gather teams of hundreds of people if you wanted together to work on a project. And it can actually still get done without even really communicating to each other. So I think it's important for anyone who's going to be working in teams like this that they all learn how to use GitHub. And I have to say, man, I think the metaphor of the two guys building the log cabin, <laughs> I could sit and talk about different metaphors with you all day. I think we've had moments where we've had long-winded conversations for an hour or two, which have all been sort of metaphor and analogy-based. And Nixlin also has an educational branch, so I was wondering if you'd like to um, talk about that for a little bit. Maybe you can explain to people, you know, what it's about and how it came about. So first off, you know, the fundamentals of the Nixon platform started off more as a means for me to be able to actually document properly structured for every category of what is required for production level uh, projects where, you know, you have a proper documentation on it in regards to where your area is for that. And then it came to a point where 
you know, speaking with Frankie, with you and uh, realizing, you know, what's the deeper reality of cybersecurity and some of the things you taught me. And I realized, well, with a lot of the things I've been doing, there is so much out there that I realized, well, the best way to go about this is to make a red versus blue. For those who are building it, need to be able to understand that there are going to be those who attack it. Now, that can be, you know, someone who you know, who is an active pen tester or red team member or, you know, or literally someone going from blue team to red team out of whatever reason. Or it can literally be a bad black hat hacker who is quite literally sitting there with malicious intent. The fact of the matter is you got to be ready for any probable possibility, which, and the reality is that's not possible, but to be as best prepared as what you can be. And I realized that the best way for Nixon to go forward would be to start working with your, your documentations and say, okay, well, I mean, you have so much material to, we can work with that we could quite literally build an entire curriculum on pen testing and actually not just you know oh here's the information here's the documentation okay cool you're paying x amount a month for this no the best way you learn is through hands-on so you know red team as you already know blue team as i'm as uh i'm currently trying to work on as uh you know, as solid as possible. Then uh, a familiar favorite to many developers is machine learning. However, the machine learning we're going to be doing is far more uh, quantified. As I'm sure you know that there's a lot of these wonderful AI chatbots out there. And I, for one, have always been fascinated by molecules and chemistry and such. And when the first quantum processor was built, I, it blew my mind. I, I've never been more fascinated by any piece of technology than that. I mean, like even, even the Higgs boson collider, I mean, being that that's where it comes from, the, the, being able to process things, not just through zero and one, but quite literally through pi and pi. That's, I, I don't really have a, um, an easier way to explain it because there is no easy way to explain it. You can't really put that in a nutshell. But, you know, having a whole system where not only are we going to be providing documentation, we're going to be providing a platform where people can come bring what they have or bring, bring whatever they bring forth to the table at all being open source and trying to accomplish a goal. So, the quantum corner that I'm going to be creating has got nothing to do with like a standard curriculum method. What it is, is a community platform where we will analyze and assess where everyone will pitch in their ideas as to what all can be done with quantum computation. One of them, and my personal favorite, is uh, chemical alloys. I mean, with the great world of 3D printing, I really, really, really want to be able to give a program the characteristics of the material I'm looking for, and the program can go and do the millions of tests that would require for that kind of return. Quantum Corner sounds wicked, man. I'm excited to um, get involved with that one for sure. And if you can create a 3D printer that... um can generate any material then i think you're going to be rich with that one but we are running out of time dylan so um but i'll talk to you in private about getting you back on about the nixland project when it's made um start to make some ground because at the moment it's still in its infancy stage and it's an exciting time but it's going to be even more exciting when it's up and going so dylan it was great to talk to you man and um I can't wait to have you back on. Oh, thanks, man. Uh, I cannot tell you what an honor it is to have been on here. Um, never thought in my life I would be 
you know, experiencing this type of situation. And I got to say, man, it's been a lot of fun. Absolutely, Dylan. It's been my pleasure. And I look forward to having you on the show again and discussing what Lixland's up to this time. And for anyone who's interested in um, following Dylan or even asking him about Nixland, seeing if there's anything you can do to help or anything we can do to help you, you can either contact me through my socials or you can contact Dylan through his. Both of our socials will be provided in the description of the podcast. So go and take a look at that and we look forward to hearing from you. And if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and share this episode with friends or family who might benefit from these insights. Until next time, stay positive, keep growing, and cherish the good people in your life. Thank you for listening to Hacking Your Potential. My name is Frankie Thomas, and I look forward to seeing you next time. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Hacking Your Potential podcast with Frankie Thomas part of the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. If you learned something new and this conversation made you think, then add this show to your favorite podcast player. Subscribe to the ITSP Magazine YouTube channel and share the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to connect your brand to our conversations and our audience, visit ITSPMagazine.com to learn how to sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP mag 24.